Thank you for the special. Good morning. Blessing to be back at uh, Baptist College of Ministry. My wife and I enjoy each time that we uh, get to come to Falls and Baptist College of Ministry. We were talking uh, after the Sunday evening service and then again yesterday about how much it really encourages uh, our hearts to be here. There's something very special going on in this church and in the college ministry and uh, what God's doing in your hearts is a big part of that and uh, you've been a blessing to us already. Music today has uh, been a special blessing. Yesterday I was sitting back there with tears uh, flowing down my face as we sung about the love of God and just the uh, blessing that that is and remembering the grace that God shows us that we can serve Him, uh, any one of us. Uh, we all botch it up here and there, and uh, you probably sense that as you go through your uh, life and, and uh, ministry here at school, and you're not all that you wish you ought to be, and that you know that God would want you to be, and in spite of that, that God still uses us, and His great love that uh, is all settled through what Christ did on the cross, and that's the message we've got to carry to everyone else, so praise the Lord for that. We are very excited at Baptist World Mission about all that the Lord is doing. Uh, each time even one uh, missionary gets uh, called and we have the blessing of appointing them to serve uh, with Baptist World Mission, uh, that's a thrill. Uh, it seems like we're always desiring more than what we're getting and yet uh, this year is turning out to be a very special year. Uh, next week is our uh, spring meeting. We have that every spring. In the fall, we have our annual meeting uh, every October. They're both annual, but one's an annual and one's a spring meeting for some reason. Uh, anyway, uh, next week we're looking forward to interviewing four couples uh, and then voting on, uh, see, uh, three of the four we'll be able to vote on. One's an introductory interview, uh, but uh, new couples that God's been working in their hearts and uh, j just for one meeting, uh, that's a good group these days. And we've also uh, got Emily Tyler, we're excited. We'll be actually interviewing her uh, later this week so she doesn't have to make the trip to Indianapolis, but getting her uh, ready to join on with Michael. And uh, we're excited about all the Lord's doing. There's a couple that uh, originally from Haiti became U.S. citizens out in Colorado and God gave them opportunity to go back on missions trip and God abundantly used them, but not only used them in, in seeing a number come to Christ, but uh, kept burdening their heart about uh, going back. Now you imagine, uh, if you understand anything about what's going on in Haiti, especially today, it's in the news and there's uh, riots and uh, unrest and on top of the fact that it's already uh, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere and uh, imagine coming to the United States and beginning to get acclimated to uh, a little bit nicer lifestyle, a little more comfortable, and plenty of need to serve the Lord here, but then to get burdened about the country of Haiti and say, you know what, we're prepared, no languages, no culture, God wants us back there, and they're, they're ready to give all that up and, and go back to Haiti. We've actually got another young man, single man, pray for him, Jimmy Pierre. He needs a wife, but uh, God will bring one along in the right time. And, uh, but he has done the same thing. He's uh, made it to the U.S., been here for many years, had every right to stay, an opportunity uh, several times over uh, that there's been Haitian groups that wanted him to come to pastor. 
and he's convinced that God wants him back in Haiti, and so he's on his way there. He's already been appointed, but that's a thrill. We had a, uh, a neat uh, experience. One of the, there's an uh, engaged couple that's coming, both of them, to be interviewed next week, John Stover and Olena Ragova. Uh, uh, she goes by Lena, but Olena is really her name, but uh, Lena, uh, the neat thing for her, I'm reading her testimony, and I knew nothing of this background until I'm reading it, and, and in the midst of it, uh, she writes, praise the Lord for the missionaries. She's from the Ukraine. Years ago, a couple that's with Baptist World Mission served many years in Ukraine. They now happen to be serving in British Columbia, Canada. Uh, the Mitchums, Roland and Vera Mitchum, went to Ukraine, and they hired this young girl as their interpreter. And uh, through not just their ministry, but some other missionaries as well, she came to know Christ as their Savior, but the relationship that developed uh, with Elena, the, God put it on the Mitchum's hearts years ago that maybe they could have a discipleship influence with this young girl. Uh, she was a huge help with the languages. She uh, grew in the Lord. Uh, they had still kept this, it's almost like a... Uh, uh, mother-father relationship with her due to her situation and need. So they've kept in touch. And I knew nothing of that until I'm reading this application. And she's gotten engaged to John Stover. They're burdened to go to Germany. And uh, she's now coming to serve as a Baptist World Mission missionary after the influence years ago uh, of a missionary uh, uh, of Baptist World there uh, in her life. And that's pretty exciting and neat to see that things coming full circle and how God's sending some others out. We've also had this year uh, sort of a bumper crop of mappers. Every year we've probably got two, three, maybe four uh, going out as mappers. This year uh, we've got eight going out as mappers, maybe uh, more than that. And uh, that's our short-term uh, missions, anywhere from at least two months to up to two years. There's a couple that's going out. They're uh, convinced God wants them in missions, but not just sure where. So they're going to be headed to the Ivory Coast and spending about a year there and sensing what the Lord would have, how he would use them. Uh, and then there's others uh, heading out. Uh, even from here, Emily and uh, Halstead and Wesley Halstead are each going to be going out as uh, mappers and uh, serving. And it's a great way to get some support to be able to serve on a short-term way and then wait and see how the Lord leads in the future. And I'd like to encourage you to be considering uh, that option uh, for missions as well. If you're not convinced and you're not ready to commit to investing full-time to raise full support and go, perhaps that short-term uh, option would fit you uh, very well. So anyway, I'm rejoicing and excited about what the Lord's doing in missions these days. We're beginning to see the length of time that uh, uh, missionaries are needing on deputation to shrink, and uh, that's been a blessing for about a decade ago. It was starting to peak out at a higher level, and now things are trimming down uh, much more. In fact, uh, right here, I don't know if he's in, in here today, but Michael Garamy, he's uh, setting all kinds of records for how quickly he's raising up support, something very unique God's doing uh, in his life uh, and ministry, and uh, he's probably going to have his full support uh, in a year or perhaps under. Now that he's taking on a wife, it might take him a little longer. He's going to have to raise some more support, but that's good support to raise. And, uh, but I'm convinced he'll probably, inside of a year, 
uh, end up having his full support. So God's at work and uh, doing some exciting things in missions. And I know your hearts are bent toward whatever God would have. Some of you God wants in missions. You know that already. Some of you God wants in missions, and you don't know that just yet. But that's okay, because you want what God would have for you. And however he leads, uh, God's will and God's timing, uh, sometimes the timing ends up uh, getting us off. We've got to wait for the Lord's timing and allow him to do that work. But uh, let me ask you to turn to Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10 this morning. I was very blessed yesterday with uh, Brother Sheridan's message and Sunday night as well, and then just the brief time we had to meet one another and fellowship together. He was a super encouragement. I really liked his uh, definition and explanation about meekness. Uh, I've heard it explained different ways, and uh, my typical approach of describing meekness has been strength brought under control. The picture I have in my mind about meekness is like a, a soldier that's holding a, a little baby in his arms. Here's this guy with, the, with brute force, uh, could tear the head off of all kinds of things and go tackle our enemy and beat him up, but he reserves that strength and uses it to protect uh, this little baby. That, that's a, one way of looking at meekness. But I really liked uh, his understanding of it as he studied about uh, our will being willing uh, to be under the control of another's will. And I trust that today's message might be something that would supplement or complement what he brought uh, yesterday about that willingness, the yieldedness, the meekness of allowing God's will to take over in our lives. But we're going to look at uh, today about being assured of the will of God in our lives. Uh, this is something that is one of the keys to the Christian life. It's also one of the keys in missionary service to be able to sense and discern and become assured down in our soul of what the will of God is. Uh, it's important, I think, to begin by being convinced of the fact that the all-wise, almighty Creator God who created us did so with a purpose and a plan, and He has a will for our lives. And what he's designed, what he's planned for us, has got to be the best thing. He knows so much more. And he owns us. He created us. He bought us uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And why would we not want to be yielded to his will, except for the fact that somehow in our fallen flesh, our flesh gets in the way and, and we want what we want, and it gets attracted by the lusts of the flesh and the pride of life and the things of this world sometimes distract us and pull us aside. And so it's important that we know that he's got a purpose and that we then be willing to do what he would have. Now this text we're going to look at this morning, it's at the beginning of the uh, second missionary journey. Paul is going out with Silas and after having a, the, a wonderful, successful first journey, they've come back and reported, and they're ready and raring to go again. Uh, they had a bit of a hiccup as uh, Paul and Barnabas parted ways, seeing some things differently. And uh, now Silas is on board, and they are ready to take off again. And uh, I think, uh, uh, understandably, Paul has in his eyes uh, the greatest need, what would seem to be obvious, I suppose, that place where there's the greatest need, and that's Asia. 
and he is uh, ready to head to Asia. And something he learns in this uh, situation is that what seems obvious and what appears to be the greatest need is not necessarily always the plan of God for our lives. We'll see how he was forbidden to go to Asia to preach. He wasn't permitted to go to Bithynia. But after he settled down with those rejections and got uh, more so in prayer with the Lord, the Lord gave him a vision. We called it the Macedonian call, where one says, come over here and help us. But then it comes to where he was assuredly gathering that this is what the will of God, the calling of God is in our lives. This is what we want to talk about this morning. How can we come to be assured how can we assuredly gather together about what the will of God is? And let's read our text this morning, refresh our memories about what I know is uh, fairly well known of a text. And now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after they had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. Now, what we're seeing that initially, what was he wanting to do? Something that was sinful, uh, something that was evil, something that was wrong. We'd have to say there's nothing wrong. There's everything right. He had a, his eyes filled with a vision of let's go reach the world for Christ. Let's take the power of the gospel and go to that great need. Here's this great area of Asia. We've got to get there. The gospel's got to get to that uttermost part of the earth. What could be wrong with that? Well, nothing's wrong with it other than the fact that we've got to remember that God had a specific will at a specific time for Paul and Silas. God had in his mind and heart folk that he was preparing over in Philippi. And he wanted to get Paul there. He started out by opening his eyes to Asia and off they went in that direction. Sometimes God uses, did you know, a vision and a burden to go somewhere. You think it's God's will for you forever, but he uses that to get you going in a direction. I sometimes like to put it this way when I'm counseling with some missionaries. Uh, you're, you're headed this way, you, you've got this thing in mind, and you, you're marching down that street, if you will, and all of a sudden you get to a spot that something seems to be stopping all this. And you stop and you look around and you happen to be at an intersection and you turn and you look down this direction and now you can see something that you could have never seen until you'd, unless you'd gotten to this particular spot. And God opens your eyes to see down that avenue and oh, there's where it is. God sometimes uses these bigger visions and ideas, I think, to move you in a direction. There's nothing wrong with what Paul was setting out to do. He wanted to go to Asia. Uh, and then, after Asia was closed, the Spirit of God forbid him to go there. Wow. So there's something that's good and right, and yet it's wrong 
for a particular person at a particular time because it might interfere with the plan that God had and where he wanted to use them. The importance of the sensitivity to the Spirit of God is seen here. Well, he, okay, Lord, if not there, I don't fully understand, but he's in Mysia, and wow, Bithynia, that's probably the place it ought to be. But again, the Spirit of God said, no, I don't want you to go there. A little different wording, but he permitted him not to go to Bithynia. And so I doesn't fully say this, but I imagine that Paul is wondering a bit now. And he goes to the Lord in prayer, and he goes to rest. And while he's resting, there's a vision that the Lord gives him. And I'm not suggesting that the Lord would use visions uh, in this day and time. That's another study for another day, and I know your understanding of all that. But God used a vision, and the simplicity of this vision, there was a man in a city of Macedonia, and somehow in the vision he knew where that was. And this man was just saying, come over here and help us. And Paul wakes from that vision, and he discusses that with his friends, and the Scripture says that they assuredly gathered. Now that's a, an interesting wording, assuredly gathering. Uh, you study this wording out, you'll find it. It's the idea of the uniting in, in a passionate way about a cause. Uh, one of the wordings puts it this way, put together in one's mind to compare by comparison, to gather, to conclude, to consider. So it's as though uh, there is a considering of all things, there ends up being a uniting in one's mind, and another one says to cause a person to unite with another in a conclusion or to come to come to the same opinion to prove to demonstrate so there's something about this assuredly gathering where not just one person in his own heart with the lord but that same person with another or a few others comes to the place that they all unite together and in an excited way in a convincing way after they've considered all the details this is what god would have now, this is an important thing to learn in missions, but as you'd consider, this is really an important thing, and I think especially in all of your lives, in all of our lives throughout life, but if ever uh, it's true, it's of college-age young people who are at the intersection of very many important decisions. Uh, what are you studying? Where are you studying? Do I study more? Do I get out now and serve right away? Uh, Lord, who am I going to marry? Lord, am I going to marry anyone? Uh, Lord, where do you want me to serve you? In what capacity and for how long? And we need to know uh, the will of God for our lives. That ought to be our desire. And how do we become convinced of that? So that's what I'd like to consider this morning, the ways in which we could become assuredly convinced of the will of God uh, in our lives. Now, First thing that we uh, would have to consider, we won't spend long time, I know you understand this, but 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2 and verse 9 speaks about matters being spiritually discerned. The natural man cannot discern. These things are spiritually discerned. And the point being, the very first step of uh, discerning the will of God is we must be saved. Now, I would assume uh, likely, everyone here has trusted the Lord. You've at least made profession of that. Now, that doesn't mean there couldn't be one or a few that uh, truly haven't trusted the Lord. If you haven't trusted Him, 
uh, is your personal Savior. If you've not been born again, if the Spirit of God does not live within you, uh, you do not have the capacity to discern what the will of God is. But praise the Lord, when we've trusted Christ as our Savior, uh, He then indwells us, and by His Spirit indwelling us, uh, we are now in a position where we're capable to discern His will. Uh, now, an unsaved man can discern the will of God as the, in the sense of the Spirit of God convincing him of what? Sin, righteousness, and of judgment. And as the Spirit brings that conviction upon a person, they can understand that it's the will of God that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And as they trust Christ as Savior then, the capacity to understand other aspects of the will of God is theirs. The second thing we've got to consider is this matter of surrender. And this is really what uh, Brother Sheridan yesterday was focusing on. Uh, coming to the place of meekness. Uh, we could consider Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now this is a crucial aspect. And until we come to the place of meekness, if I could use yesterday's sermon, until we come to the place of surrender, until we come to the place of presenting our bodies and saying, this body that I live in, was created by God. I was saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. My God and Savior came and died in my place, suffered everything I deserved. And I don't have to go to hell now, but I've got the opportunity to live. How can I live for myself when there's one that loved me so much? He gave everything for me. And in spite of everything that I am, the sinful person I am, He still by His grace and mercy allows me to serve Him. How could I do anything but present my body as a living sacrifice? Now, sometimes people are, all right, is this a one-time presentation or is this a, for, you know, you got to do this over and over? Well, I can tend to think it's both, frankly. I, I think that there ought to be some point in time in your life for me, it was at the end of my senior year of high school. Uh, I had uh, gotten saved uh, at the, uh, uh, when I was just about 15, the fall when I turned 15 years of age. I began to change and grow in the Lord, and I praise the Lord for the evidence of the salvation, but quite frankly, I was still trying to live both ways. Hold the world in one hand and God in the other and thought everything was gonna be fine. And during a revival meeting, in June of 1975, God came in such a way that I never expected, never anticipated, and I resisted when I began to sense at the beginning of the week what He might be doing. But by the end of the week, praise the Lord, I broke in my spirit and I yielded to the Lord. I presented my body and I said, God, my life is yours. Whatever you want for me, that's what I want now. And all of a sudden, the world began to change. Silly, simple little thing, but I had longer hair. It was quite stylish back in that day. It was the thing to do. And I had 
Some tried to convince me that I ought to get rid of it and meaning well, and they were right, but I was stubborn and I didn't care. And all of a sudden, at that point, no one had to say anything anymore. I knew in my soul this wasn't honoring to the Lord. I needed to go get my hair cut. And I did. And all of a sudden, I'm at that point, I had three colleges I was considering where I was going. All of them you'd consider to be new evangelical, if, if even that. <laughs> they had some kind of a Christian background, but uh, nothing. And then God ended up working in my heart. And I knew exactly where he was. I never even visited at Bob Jones. But that's where God wanted me to be. And I knew it in my soul and I had yielded. And God just began to work because there was a yieldedness. Now I say this surrender. <laughs> I think there ought to be that one time that you look back and say, I gave my life to God. Did you ever buy a car yet? Some of you. That's a pretty big transaction. If you haven't gotten there, you'll get there. And it might be a clunker, but it's yours. <laughs> you own it. And there's a transaction that takes place at the point that you buy it. Remember the first one I bought, it was a Ford Granada, 75 Ford Granada. Man, I was thrilled to have that thing. It was a neat car. But you know, somebody comes and tries to claim it and say, hey, wait a minute. I bought that thing. There was a transaction that took place on a certain day. And you'd argue that, you'd take it to court if you had to so you could keep your clunker because you paid $1,700 or whatever you paid for it. There ought to be a day that God can remind you, Dave, wait a minute. In spite of all that's going on in your head right now, in spite of all the things of this world that might be pulling you this way or that, do you remember back to that day? You gave your life to me. Do I need to remind you I created you? Do I need to remind you that Jesus died for your sin and I bought you all over again? Do I need to remind you of my grace that in spite of the rebellion that you had in your heart, I still have a plan for you and I want to use you? Dave, you belong to me. And maybe you all get to that place now. I don't think I'm the only one that struggles with the old flesh now and then. A lack of faith now and then. And it's important to have a place that you know you presented your life to him, but I think it's important that you're willing to humble yourself and say, Lord, yes. And this, to me, just boils down to the yielding. If we walk in the flesh, we're not going to do the will of God. But if we walk in the Spirit, we'll deny the flesh. And there's a yielding to the Spirit of God on a day-to-day -day basis. Paul said, I die daily. And he was recognizing what we need to recognize. Our flesh is always in the way. You don't need to beat yourself up with guilt. But be honest and humble enough to say, this is the way it is. And Lord, I yield. Please forgive me. And he's so gracious when we confess. He forgives us and we can get right back on track and get going again. So you got to be saved. You got to be surrendered. Third thing, you got to be seeking. Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 9 to 11, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Friend, you want to know the will of God? Start seeking. How do you seek? Seek in prayer. Ask the Lord. Seek by poking at a few doors. We're going to see in a little bit how the Lord opens and closes. He opens and no man can shut, and He closes and no man can open. And there's nothing wrong with poking on a few doors like looking at Asia and thinking you might go there, or Mizzy or Bithynia. Nothing wrong with that. But seek the will of God for your life. Lord, what do you want? I'm yielded to you. I'm walking with you. And Lord, I'm looking for what you would have. I'm looking for you in a place of ministry. I'm looking for you in a place of study. I'm looking for you in a spouse. Lord, what would you have? Fourth key thing, study God's word. Thy word's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Believe in your heart that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. It's the one thing that will truly, completely furnish us for everything we have to serve the Lord. Do you notice in this day and age how much this world is fighting against keeping the thought even of God, or anything that would smack of coming from the Word of God? We have a justice, or did, down in uh, Alabama, Roy Moore. You may have heard of him. He was in the news uh, uh, about a year or so ago. Uh, he's got some background stuff I'd never heard of before, but one thing I know about Roy Moore, uh, he uh, had the Ten Commandments in granite, in his courtroom in Alabama. And federal things higher than him said, you can't do that. You need to take it out. And he refused to take it out. He believed that he was on legal ground and uh, the legal legalities of it, technicalities of it, in a sense, don't matter right now. But that man I've appreciated very much because in spite of what enormous pressure of even losing his job came upon him, he wasn't going to give in and remove. Why do they care? They don't want people being reminded that there's anything of a God or anything that he's said. There's a power in the Word of God. Isn't it exciting how there's places like Papua New Guinea and places like the Philippines where there's governments that actually want and invite people to come in with the It's contrary to what we can imagine. The government seems totally opposed in our country. That's the way it is. They're opposed right now. We need to pray for revival that God would open that up. But my point is this. Young people, there is a power in the Word of God. And for us to look there for the guidance of what His will is, and it'd be a great study, and we don't have time this morning to deal with these aspects of it, but I would encourage you, look for the commands, but also look at the principles that you'd find in the Word of God to give you the guidance. It, everything isn't just a thus saith the Lord. But as you study the Word of God, you'll find principles and precepts and concepts and truths 
that when you make application of those to your situation in life, it becomes abundantly clear what's the right thing uh, for you to consider and do. Now, the next uh, thing, the fifth thing, is to submit to godly counsel. Scripture tells us in Proverbs that there is strength in a multitude of counselors, that there is safety in a multitude of counselors, uh, that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Ultimately, victory and fulfillment come through a multitude of counselors. I believe you find as you uh, look at 2 Timothy 1, you don't need to turn back there, but Paul was reminding Timothy how that there were many others that gave confirmation of the calling that God had upon his life. Timothy tended to be a little bit fearful. I understand that. My, my makeup and nature tends to be a little bit uh, timid, and I think I see a bit of Timothy in me in that. And I have to have my heart stirred up at times to be reminded about the power of my God that in spite of my weakness, he is much stronger and he can use even a weak vessel. And Paul was stirring up Timothy, but there was a multitude of counselors, including his mother and grandmother, that confirmed even the calling of God upon his life. Could I challenge you and encourage you in seeking the will of God for your life, don't be afraid of. In fact, make it a priority to humble yourself and realize that I don't know everything and I can't see everything from the vantage point that I'm in, especially when I'm in a position of uh, pressure. Be willing to reach out and say to mom and dad, just because they're your mom and dad, all the more so if they know the Lord and if they love the Lord and walk with the Lord, reach out to their counselor, reach out to your pastor, reach out to teachers, reach out to godly friends that God has put into your life and say, could I bounce something off you? Here's the situation, here's the need, here's my burden. Here's what I think I'd like to do. What do you think? Does this make sense to you? And I think you will find, as I have found over the years, that every time you do that, God has a unique way of using the counselors, one, to give you guidance, but I think more importantly, to give affirmation and confidence about what he would have. Generally speaking, when I was pastoring, whether as a missionary in Canada or pastoring back at Marquette uh, for nine years, uh, all these different needs, there, there were constantly things that were beyond me. And in my case, I viewed my deacons as chief counselors to me. And I reveled in the fact that God gave me godly deacons who loved the Lord and loved His Word and cared enough about their pastor to tell them what they thought. And I I, I found this, that if I couldn't convince them, I thought, you know what, I'm probably missing something here. And I'd be wise to at least wait for a little while, rethink this, pray about some things a little bit further. And I'm not talking about something that God's just said clearly from His Word. I'm talking about those things you need, some application of the Word of God. I remember times in Canada, and I'd, I'd call, and almost inevitably, all the council lined up the same way, and it was very reassuring to me that this is what I ought to do. I remember one time where the council 
literally came back split. Uh, your pastor was one of the ones I'd called. Doc Moritz was another. I think I had at least uh, five that I'd called. And it was split. And I thought, Lord, this doesn't make sense. But I learned something from that. I learned that good, godly men sometimes see this particular issue a little differently. I learned that this was a difficult decision, and I learned ultimately I'd better walk very closely with the Lord and sense exactly what He would have because I'm going to have to do this one. But that counsel lent a great deal of confidence and support all the way around. Don't resist, don't reject, don't get upset with mom and dad and counselors when they care for you. The, the sixth thing, and there's one more seventh, then we'll quickly be done, but spiritual intervention. Uh, this passage that we looked at, we saw that the Spirit of God intervened in Paul's life as he was setting out to serve the Lord. The Spirit forbade him. The Spirit uh, for, uh, didn't permit him. But the Spirit ended up nudging him by way of this vision and this Macedonian call that he had. And uh, God will have a way of intervening in your life by His Spirit. Revelation 3 and 7 speaks about the fact that God uh, opens doors that no man can shut. When God opens a door, it's like you can hardly miss it. <laughs> I mean, you just got to be really rebellious or something to, to miss this. He makes it clear. God opens and no man shuts it. And there's other times where you're trying to get in somewhere and God just slams that door and says, wait a minute, what happened here? I thought this was it. But it, the door is shut. And unless you're just going to force yourself, force your own will on something, this isn't going to happen. But praise the Lord for those times. Because God's making His will clear. He's protecting you. He's preserving you for what else. And it's time to step back, just like Paul did. It's time to get more in prayer and allow the Lord to open the door that He would have for you. And then finally, the seventh is the Spirit's peace. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 speaks about the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Psalm 37, 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. That's not a guarantee that whatever dream and wish that you might ever have in your life, that God's going to give it to you if you just also delight in Him. Might be you've got that Corvette instead of the clunker as a desire in your heart. Does that mean God's going to give you a Corvette to drive while you're pastoring? Well, maybe it could. <laughs> But, you know, maybe not so likely. But I'll tell you what he will do. He changes your desirer. He shapes your desires. He gives you the desires you ought to have. And the neat thing is, when you, you really desire something, there's a great fulfillment when God gives you that thing that you desire, and you're just as thrilled with the clunker as the Corvette when you're in the will of God for your life. And young people, I want more than anything, I know Brother Sheridan yesterday, I know your pastor, I know all your teachers. Probably if there's anything they pray for you over and over and over and over again is that the will of God be done in your life. Now, I, I just love 
working with young people, love the opportunity God gives us in missions. And I've learned that it, it takes time, sort of like keeping going back to a fishing hole and you just wait patiently until the timing of God is right in the heart of young people. And I care, I don't care whether you go into missions, although I'm always looking for somebody going into missions. I want you where God wants you. And I'd care to help you wherever that would be if I could. But along the way, in the Lord's timing, He's got a will for you into missions. And if we could serve you, we'd love to do that. But I want to challenge you this morning about not just being meek. That was a wonderful foundation for what we looked at today. But would you yield yourself to say all over again, God, I want your will more than anything. And maybe it's time to admit the fact that there's something that's caught your eye or caught your desires that you know it's your flesh more than it is God. And yield that back over to Him again. And begin to get back in the Word and allow the Word of God to shape and guide. And He's faithful to guide you in His will if you let Him do it. Would you yield to that this morning? Let's pray together as we close. I wonder just before I pray, is there somebody to say, Preacher, God spoke to my heart today. And I want to recommit. I want to yield to the Lord about His will in some area in my life, or perhaps even just in general. It's time to get this back in order and just give it all to the Lord again. Has God spoken today? And here's my hand. Pray for me as we close. God bless you.